Hey everybody, Chris here. Just a heads up, in case it might be triggering for you in some way, this episode does discuss in-depth eating disorders and disordered eating. And if you or anyone you know is seeking help for an eating disorder, you can find the link for the National Eating Disorders Association helpline right there in your show notes. Maybe you don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 201 of the Power Company podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. We're over the hump, 200 episodes. It's a little hard to believe, actually, but as usual, we are keeping it moving here in Lander, Wyoming, where it is currently snowing and forecasted to snow for a couple more days. Just when spring was getting good, Lander decided we needed more snow. So be it. We'll get more work done here. Speaking of Lander, tickets for the International Climbers Festival here in Lander happens every year in July, except for last year due to COVID, are now on sale. You can find that link right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputer and rest assured that we have had many, many discussions about COVID safety and how we're going to approach the situation best we can. So if you feel comfortable, if you're interested in joining us in Lander this summer to rekindle the spark of that tradition that is the International Climbers Festival, please get those tickets before they're gone. We would love to see you out here this summer. Today's episode is a continuation of a conversation that I started back in 2017, actually at the International Climbers Festival with my friend Savannah Buick, who we tragically lost a year later in 2018. Savvy and I sat down to talk about eating disorders, her struggles with an eating disorder, and what it looked like to talk to your friends, to your partners, to your people. And because of that conversation, which was episode 56, if anyone wants to go back and listen, I eventually connected with today's guest, Caroline Wicks. And Caroline is a friend of mine who, right at the beginning of the pandemic, 2020, published an article with Climbing Magazine called Weighing In, Does Climbing Need an Eating Disorder Intervention? It's a fabulous article. If you have not read it, and this is a subject that you're interested in, a subject that you could learn more about, a subject that your friends might benefit from you learning more about, then you should go check out that article. It's free on the internet through Climbing Magazine right now as we speak, and there is a link to it right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputers. Caroline and I sat down at Power Company headquarters here in Lander to discuss her experiences in this climbing community, as well as five things that we can do 
to make it a more inclusive, more positive experience for those people who are dealing with these disorders. Let's get into it. I don't think I've ever received as much weight loss advice, like, ever, as I have from just other climbers. And it's, it was so jarring. was it that you wrote your article? Was that three years ago? Well, I started writing it about two and a half years ago, and it was published one year ago. Was it sense? just one year ago that yeah. it was published? Wow, yeah, it, was, it seems more like two. It was like the very be- beginning of the pandemic, so it came out like right when everything else was happening, and it was like, okay, this is uh, not really the time to like try to promote an okay. article about something else. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a weird, a weird timing that... But yeah, I started writing it like um, two and a half years ago after OR 2018 or, yeah. Yeah. Had we met before we talked in Waco? Um, I was doing my AMGA SPI course and you were like there for Oktoberfest and I chatted with you okay. a little bit uh, at like... I couldn't remember if we had met or hadn't met... Um at that point i was trying to remember that last night yeah i mean i kind of like cold dm'd you (laughs) i didn't know you very well yeah which is which is great actually and actually when you first reached out like this had you know the 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 issue with eating disorders and them being kind of silently um almost celebrated in the climbing community had had been an issue for a long time and maybe simply because i had surrounded myself with people who weren't regularly dealing with it it mm-hmm. wasn't an issue that was really at the forefront for me at the time yeah and if you had asked me and maybe you did i don't remember how often i see it it would have been not very often anymore yeah for sure um, but as we've seen just recently with, you know, light, the documentary, um, and your article, and now there are more and more people speaking up, it's still a pretty prevalent issue. Totally. And it's, it's kind of hard because the way that eating disorders traditionally present themselves in your mind, like when you're thinking about an eating disorder, you're like, oh, I could identify that in somebody. Like, I would right. know if someone mm. was anorexic or right. I would have an idea of somebody who was bulimic. But, like, I think the thing that we're really learning is that we can't really see eating disorders, especially in, like, athletes. It's really hard to tell. And they're not always physical indicators. And you don't always spend, like, all your free time with somebody to know, like, what's going on in their life. And nobody wants to talk about it like I don't really want to talk about it all that much either but sure yeah why did you then why did you feel like you needed to write this article which is great by the way and climbing has it on their website for free now Um, so I'll link to that in the show notes here for everybody listening Um, why did you feel like writing that article was something you needed to do 
Well, thank you. First, that's really nice to hear. Well, there are like two reasons. Um, number one for me, like talking about my eating disorder has been something that's been really hard to do, but has been like a really critical part for me in recovery. Um, being like forthcoming about what's happened to me has helped me process it, but also like has held me really accountable to the people in my life, which has been kind of the first step in me finding my way through recovery is just having other people as a support system. Mm -hmm. But then specifically, why did I want to write a large article to share with the rest of the climbing world? It kind of came down to reading quite a few articles that I thought were just terrible about eating mm. disorders from people who had didn't have eating disorders or people who were like making light of them. Like, oh, ha ha, we all try to starve ourselves. Isn't that funny? But like, don't do it too much. And that's like all you get from magazines right. or blogs, except for Savannah Buick. And yeah. then when I decided to write the article, I just recently read something in Climbing Magazine. And I was like, this is so off the mark. Like nobody who has suffered an eating disorder would agree with this characterization of eating disorders. And I was like, wow, I wish I could ask Savannah to write something. It's like, I right. really wanted to send her like a message and be like, Savvy, you've got to see this. But I couldn't, obviously, she passed away. And right. it was kind of like looking around, I was like, I don't really know who else to talk to. Because at that point, like Angie Payne had come out about having an eating disorder, but she was like, you mm. know, Angie Payne, I don't know Angie Payne. <laughs> I <wasn't> kinda, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> hey, I never met you, but tell me about your eating disorder. Uh, kind of a weird way to enter into someone's life. But yeah, I was like, I don't see anybody else talking about this. I don't know if I have like everything it takes to, to do it, but I'm going to try. And I messaged Matt Salmon. He was like, yeah, absolutely. Mm. This is kind of weird just waiting for somebody to talk about it. Yeah. What do you think we were, and maybe still are, though I hope it's trending in the right direction, getting wrong about it that frustrated you so much? Well, and, I, and I ask that because this is a conversation I've never felt qualified to, to really talk about on my own. And I had Savvy on the podcast to talk about it and, and learned a lot from her. But even since then, I, ha I don't feel qualified to talk about it, you know, mm -hmm. hence that's why you're here to, <laughs> to educate me. So what do you think it was we were getting wrong? Well, I can definitely commiserate with not feeling qualified to talk about it. I mean, I had an eating disorder for like 13 years and I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a nutritionist. And so there are lots of facets of it that I'm like, even though I had this experience and I know exactly what I went through, right. it's hard to to talk about because everyone's experience is so different. Sure. So I think the thing that we're mostly getting wrong is not understanding the nuance to it, I guess. And I think with like most issues, um, it really is like a conversation because everyone experiences their relationship with food and their bodies differently. And most eating disorders look very dissimilar from one another. Right. There's not like blanket statements that we can make. <clears throat> and I think what we're getting wrong is writing either or talking about eating disorders as like, this is, these are the medical parameters of it. This is what it is. 
if you don't exactly fit in this box, you don't, there's nothing wrong. Mm. Or being really dismissive and saying like, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. And for a lot of people, they do fit into these medical parameters, but a lot of people don't and are still like experiencing eating disorders. Right. In fact, like the most deadly eating disorder is EDNOS, which is, stands for eating disorder not otherwise specified, which is really oh, like, wow. yeah, which is where most people fall. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's so deadly is because people don't get help because they're like, I don't. It's not a medical condition. Yeah, exactly. Like if I look it up, I'm not anorexic or I'm not bulimic, but they're still using behaviors. Um, yeah, so. you, you make the distinction in your article, and I hadn't heard this distinction before, and I, I think it's really important. Something clicked for me when I read it about disordered eating versus eating disorders. Yeah. And, and you say in your article that they share DNA, but they aren't exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain what the difference between the two is? Totally. And this is something that I think a lot of people are not quite sure about because they are two different things. So disordered eating is when you're using eating disorder behaviors. And eating disorder behaviors is sounds like sort of like a nebulous term, but it includes a lot of specific things like binging and purging, restricting, excessive exercise. Um, and those behaviors when used to like a certain extent are eating disorders. If you are using these behaviors on like a habitual basis and right. it's starting to become mm. a like controlling factor of your life. It's an eating disorder, but someone can use eating disorder behaviors without having an eating disorder. And that's called disordered eating. Um, and disordered eating is still hugely problematic and it's what most people can identify with. Like yeah. most people out there have used disordered eating behaviors. Like, yeah, I would imagine a lot of climbers fall into this category. Totally, totally. Because it's, kind of part of the culture and it's like what you do to send and I, I talked about this in my article but it's always been so weird to me hearing people talk about being like oh I was so excited to get you know food poisoning or I was really excited to get sick right, right before my project right. yeah. as someone who like <clears throat> was bulimic I'm like oh god like that mm -hmm. sounds a lot like something I know about I don't totally yeah yeah it's it's really interesting because as a as a coach, you know, exactly what you said initially that we feel like we can notice an eating disorder. It looks a specific way, mm -hmm. you know, but disordered eating when you're in the climbing community almost looks like the normal thing. Totally. Uh, and the lines are really blurry there. You know, I think in your article, you mentioned that the thing that sort of qualifies an eating disorder as an eating disorder is that that person is psychologically attached to those mm -hmm. habits now. Yeah. You know, and they, and they have to do it even if there's not like this concrete reason, like I need to send mm -hmm. this boulder, you know, and, and I'm, this is such a slippery slope to talk about things, you know? Yeah. So forgive me if I, if I misstep, but we can't see how people are psychologically attached. Totally. So it can very easily slip into an eating disorder. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I think about someone who smokes like cigarettes and they say like, I could stop anytime I wanted, you know, like that kind of, 
with eating disorders and disorder eating, there is like this whole, let's say you're restricting to to climb a harder grade and you've lost like 10 pounds in the past few months and you're like, I can stop when I want. Right. And that might be true. But when I hear that, I don't know if it is like, I don't know if you can stop anytime you want. Have you tried? And yeah, yeah it is really hard to, to know that. <laughs> and we also don't know that about ourselves really. So being able to identify that in somebody else is difficult when most of us don't really know where our own lines are. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it, the fact remains that climbing is a strength to weight ratio sport. We are, we're rewarded for having a better strength to weight ratio. I think where the, where people go wrong is that weight loss seems like an easy way to improve that ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just using common sense, logic seems like the way to go. Mm-hmm. But that's also a carryover from this era of climbing where we didn't view training as very important. Totally. At least not intelligent training. You mm-hmm. know, people would become maniacal about something and <laughs> do that to the death. But but as we've learned that we can get stronger and that mm-hmm. it's important for us to get stronger, I think a lot of people are starting to notice that even if they gain weight, mm-hmm. they can still improve their strength to weight ratio, which doesn't make logical sense when you first <laughs> think about it. Totally. I mean, it, it is, uh, the, I mean, the difficult thing about climbing, and this goes for a lot of other sports as well, like you can see parallels in cycling and running. Yeah. Um, and uh, gymnastics and even ballet. Yeah, and um, any weight class sports. Totally. You know, boxing, wrestling, whatever. Yeah, which climbing doesn't have weight classes, but some people think it should, um, which is interesting to think about. But there's, it's hard to tell somebody like, no, you shouldn't ever lose weight because that's not necessarily always true. And, and it may be beneficial for yeah, some people. But that's not... Losing somebody losing weight is not the same thing as having an eating disorder right. or disordered eating. Right. Um, but I agree with you. There's this old kind of adage that lighter is better, um, and it's just kind of like we don't prescribe that people do mono campus training, and that's something that <laughs> if you yeah. watched old videos from the past, you'd think that that right. was the way to climb hard. That was the thing to show in videos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of. Interesting, I talked to uh, Christian Griffith for this article, and I didn't end up using uh, my interview with him for the article because it just didn't fit in. But he was kind of telling me about going. He wrote a famous, or famous to some, article called Learning to Crawl, in which he basically detailed like having a climbing season in France where he didn't eat, and that's how he sent. Right. Um, and he was telling me that he went to uh, France with Tommy Caldwell mm-hmm. and was trying to tell Tommy, Tommy that he needed to eat less if he wanted mm-hmm. to send. And Tommy was like, oh, no, I, I don't want to do that. Well, I remember this article really, the article about him and Tommy. Yeah. Really specifically. I can tell you where I was when I read it. <laughs> because at the time, I loved Big Macs. And <laughs> Tommy makes the comment in the article that, Big Macs are what give him his power. And I was like, yes. 
<laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Christian, when he was telling me about it, he was like, yeah, and Tommy didn't send. And my response was, well, have you seen what Tommy said <laughs> recently? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it mattered mm. if he didn't send some 13C at that point in time. It's, right. you know, what was the long game? Yeah. Where did he end up eventually? Yeah. And, you know, weight loss might might be the product of a smart training program for some people, mm -hmm. but weight gain might also be the product of a smart training program. Totally. You know? So where we've, we've sort of drawn this link between getting lighter and training, it, there's not really a link there. Oftentimes yeah. it's the opposite, you know, for, for me personally, I, I had always thought this is my fighting weight, mm. you know, and as a sport climber that it might have been true that kind of my normal weight that just stayed that way forever mm -hmm. was my fighting weight. As I became a boulder, I kept that fighting weight mm -hmm. and I started noticing that I was eating more because I was training more intensely. Mm -hmm. And I started gaining a little weight. And for the first time, I really started thinking about, oh, should I should I be trying to mm -hmm. lose some of this weight? <clears throat> then I realized I just had my, you know, maybe my best sport climbing season and my best bouldering season back to back heavier than I've ever been. Mm -hmm. um, so while... While if I practice disordered eating, it's more too many Big Macs than, <laughs> than restricting calories, mm -hmm. I still, I didn't know my fighting weight. And I think, yeah. I think most of us don't. Or we think we do. We think yeah, we do. We think we do. Yeah. But <clears throat> I don't know. I think the whole fighting weight concept is, I think, sometimes a way for you to justify totally. the way you're performing or... a. The same kind of psychological <clears throat> thing as saying it's like the perfect humidity out, so it's time right. to get on. Right. Um, it's kind of interesting. My my boyfriend Alex also had the best season of his life and broke like an eight year plateau, and I think he had gained ten pounds that right. season. It was kind of like a okay. It turns out that like I need to eat more and I need to put on muscle and I need to, you know, train. Yep. So observing that in somebody else is really yeah. interesting. Um, just to kind of like circle back to uh, the article, there's Dylan Barks is somebody I talked to for, yeah. for this. And Dylan is just a phenomenal person and really like Dylan a lot. He is super strong. If anybody follows him on Instagram, I'm constantly just like, oh my God. Yeah. Crusher. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know super like a humble kid. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. humans could like do that. That's crazy. <laughs> but he, um, when he graduated high school and he was performing at like a really elite level, he developed an eating disorder that really quickly sent him to the hospital. He got, I mean, he didn't have much weight to lose before he was in the like really unhealthy range. And something that he talked about a lot with me was like, there's a point at which you're like, I can't stop doing this because if I gain this weight back or if I go into treatment and if I have to help myself. I'm just losing all this time, you know? Right, right. And he kind of <clears throat> was like, I went to treatment. I did lose this time, but I came back stronger than ever. And, and still getting stronger. Still getting stronger. Yeah. Climbed all my hardest things, still climbing harder and harder. And I think for a lot of people, 
even if you don't have an eating disorder, but you're thinking about like, I think I'm going to let go of some of these disordered eating behaviors and see how I perform yep. if I'm like eating more intuitively, it might go badly for a little while. Mm-hmm. You might have a time where you're like <clears throat> working your way back to learning how to climb at like a higher body weight. But there is like not only like a light at the end of the tunnel, like a whole world at the end of the tunnel where you get to climb in a different body that might be the right one for you, you know? Yeah. Where you're working with yourself instead of constantly against yourself. Yeah. You know, something that occurred to me that I think is really interesting, you know, I spend a lot of time on this podcast trying to look beneath the surface at kind of the the hidden phenomenons that make things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we very often, like the word strong is is kind of grossly overused in climbing, you <laughs> yeah. know? Um, and you'll hear it a lot when someone is performing well. Mm-hmm. Oh, strong. She's so strong, you know? Which makes you think, oh, but we're celebrating being strong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how is that, how does that jive with this whole idea of being light? But what mm-hmm. happens that a lot of us don't notice is that being light is sort of passed around like this secret weapon, Mm -hmm. you know? People have shared their, like, Christian's article, and and I've heard of, you know, the Boulder diet, and Mm -hmm. all these these things I've heard of over the years of climbers sharing their ways to get lighter. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, like, that secrecy of it adds an element of importance. Totally. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm <clears throat> from Indiana, so I'm not from like a climbing mecca. Right. Uh, and I started climbing about six years ago. And I was climbing like, you know, V3, like most people do in their first year of climbing. Within that time, maybe three or four people like started giving me weight loss advice. Wow. Not knowing that I had just come out of an eating disorder recovery center. Right. But like... I don't think I've ever received as much weight loss advice, like, ever, except for, you know, from, like, in junior high, maybe, mm-hmm. as I have from just other climbers. And it's it was so jarring. And at that time, I was so deep in my eating disorder that I was like, yeah, this is normal. Like, I fit in in this community. Like, I get that. Like, when people are telling me, like, oh, if you want to climb harder, <clears throat> you need to do this. I was like, that makes sense. Totally checks out. And then now that I'm able to be in a place of recovery where my, I mean, honestly, my brain function is restored. Like mm-hmm. I eat enough and have enough energy that I can like logically think about things. Whereas at that time I like didn't have the brain capacity to say like, hey, that makes no sense. Sure. And once it becomes a disorder, logic really doesn't apply totally. anymore. You yeah. Know? It's kind of taken that function over entirely. Yeah. And now I'm looking back and I'm like, I can't believe I, <clears throat> somebody told me that my legs were too heavy because I was a woman. And unless I lost weight, I would never be able to climb an overhang. <laughs> <laughs> right? My like wow. within a few months of climbing. Fuck. And I live right next to the Red River Gorge. Three years, never once tried to climb something steep. Because I was like, oh, until I lose all this weight in my legs, I'm never going to be able to do oh, it. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's, Yeah. Climbers are stupid. Um, <laughs> people in general, actually, I think, 
don't measure their words very carefully. Mm-mm. And just to go on record, before we go any further, if you if you're listening and you consider giving unsolicited weight loss advice to someone don't stop yourself stop yourself immediately that's that's worse than giving unsolicited beta which is oh yeah which is a deep sin as far as i'm concerned (laughs) so i guess yeah to go off of that something that i default to i don't comment on people's bodies you might think that it's like a nice thing to be like oh have you lost weight but when you say that to somebody For a lot of people, and this is for me as well, because people have said that to me occasionally, my first thought is, did I need to? Are you saying that because I I needed to? Even even something that seems as as nice or as complimentary as, oh, you're looking fit. Mm -hmm. You know, that person could be in the midst of a disordered eating cycle. Mm-hmm. And that just reinforces that what they're doing is the right thing. Totally. And a lot of people have talked about this. And a lot of people I interviewed talked about how they were climbing and they developed an eating disorder and started losing weight. And people at the gym were like, wow, you're looking so strong. You're looking yeah. really good. And and yep. it just reinforces like, damn, yeah, the same cycle of like, I lost weight. People noticed. They say I'm better at rock climbing, even yeah. if they don't feel like they're climbing well. They want other people Sure. Yeah, especially if you're like a 16-year-old. <clears throat> the weight of people telling you, you're looking like really strong, you're doing great. It's like whatever you think is connected to that, you're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just always a good approach and something I try to do um, to put any praise that I'm giving someone on the work that I can see them doing in front of me. Totally. You know, because I don't know what else is going on in their life. I don't Mm -hmm. know what I'm reinforcing by praising something I can't see. And that's so much more meaningful too. Like when I hear somebody, it's kind of funny you're talking about the strong thing. The other day I was at the gym and someone was like, wow, you look so strong. And what they meant was I'm flexible and I can heel hook well. Right. Like I was just sitting on my heel. It's like, okay, thanks. But there's, you know, you can talk to people and I don't have a problem with someone telling me I'm strong and that's not the moral of the story. The moral is like, if you really want to compliment somebody, you really want to tell them that they're doing great or you're impressed, look at what they're really doing. Yeah. Use, use your words and choose better words. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we could say, someone could say watching you do that. Wow. That was a creative solution. I never would have come up with, Yeah, you know, as opposed to. Oh, you're strong. <laughs> you know, um, I think that's we just grossly over. And I'm guilty. I'm certainly guilty of mm-hmm. grossly overusing the word strong. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I think uh, kind of another takeaway here is like we all make mistakes with our words. Like I make mistakes with my words all the time, I say things I shouldn't. I get really upset when I hear people calling themselves fat when they're not climbing well. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, a friend, <clears throat> uh, yesterday morning, our friend was like, oh, I'm just, I'm too fat to climb well now. Like visible six pack, climbing really hard. Nothing would ever suggest that right. this person is needs to lose weight. And, and it just, it bothers me a whole lot. But like, do I think he's a bad person because he says that? Do I think that he's trying to be hurtful because he says that? No. It's just, it's upsetting. And I'm like, 
hey, man, like, no, you're not. That's that's absurd. That's not true. And that's not useful. Yeah. But because you say something that might hurt somebody else, that doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it just means you need to try a little harder. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, there there are going to be people and and I'm one of those people to some degree who can use like for instance Kyra Condi's tattoo that mm-hmm. says you suck try harder I respond well to that sort of messaging yeah you know as an athlete I respond well to that Kyra mm-hmm. responds well to that some people are going to respond well to those sorts of things but it doesn't mean you should say it out loud for everybody <laughs> yeah to hear yeah because we don't know yeah. what everyone else is going through. I also respond well to heckling at yeah. boulders. If people mm-hmm. are like, you're not even trying. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're actually quite right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Something I think is really interesting about your story is that you you came into climbing already with this with this eating disorder that you were dealing with and used climbing as a way out of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas most people... I can't say most people, but a lot of people come into climbing and find an eating disorder there as a way to perform better. Mm -hmm. What was it about climbing that, that helped you make that change? If you look at the rhetoric around it, sometimes it can seem like this is not true. But through my own experience, this is what I have found, is that climbing is a place where all bodies can have success. Mm-hmm. And the fun of it for me is finding ways to make my body work with whatever I'm, moves I'm trying to do. If I'm shorter, I get to jump. If I'm more flexible, I get to heal up. They're just yeah. interesting solutions that I can use my body for. And because of that, I have gained a whole new respect for my body, a whole different relationship with it. In order to climb well, I have to be like in communication with myself. And as somebody who for a long time felt like there was me and there was my body. We were not friends. We were mm. at war. Yeah. And we didn't talk. <clears throat> we didn't get along. But for some reason, I had to be in it. Finding a sport where I can like work with myself, really work with myself and not feel like I'm always fighting myself. And when it's going really well, really feel like I'm flowing. Like that has been huge for just appreciating my body, wanting it to do well, like feeling compelled to nourish it. Um, And then, you know, you hear people talking and they're saying things that don't check out with that experience, which is fine. But for me, like having that ability to just really reflect on what my own experience has been uh, yeah. has made climbing a place where it feels like an essential part of my recovery. It's it's good to hear that because I think, you know, when we start having these conversations, a lot of the people who are, you know, these like, they fight hard for the idea that climbing is like the ultimate sport or lifestyle or mm-hmm. whatever it is that they consider it to be, when we start talking about here are some of the ways climbing can can be a dangerous thing for somebody, mm-hmm. they want to push back, you know? 
or they get upset, like we're attacking climbing, yeah. you know, and that's not the case here at all, but it's good to hear. And I think we'll be encouraging for a lot of people that when viewed through a different lens, climbing can be a good way out of this, this cycle of disordered eating or eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a story we hear very often. You know, we totally. hear that climbing was the like dark hallway that someone walked down in order to find this yeah. eating disorder. And you you mentioned a, a research paper in your mm-hmm. article um, that I've got the number here that kind of shocked me that said 43% of the female climbers who, you know, who took the survey that were climbing over 13B showed signs of an eating disorder. Yeah. That's a massive number. Yeah. It doesn't show, or at least in, in your article, it doesn't mention, and I've, I've looked at several other articles that reference that paper, and it doesn't mention a high degree of men over any certain grade. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's tied to, you know, the same idea that uh, Light, the documentary, couldn't get many men to talk about mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, there's been, Kai has spoken out, mm-hmm. uh, Dylan has talked about it a little, and now there are more men coming forward. But it wouldn't surprise me if that same 43% or whatever occurs in men mm-hmm. over a certain grade too. Yeah. So the study you're referencing is by Dr. Lene Chaubert, if somebody wants to look it up. And it, it is really illuminating. It's also important to note that this was a small sample size right. that like she went off Right, like 600 and some yeah, climbers. Yeah. So yeah. obviously more research needs to be done, but it is a good indicator like, hey, there is a serious problem. Because even in men, the prevalence of eating disorders in climbing was at least a few percentage points higher than the general population. So you can see that there is a connection there. Um, And as far as men and eating disorders, there's, it's super complex, um, but there's a lot of Um, Mm underreporting. There's, eating disorders are more prevalent in women for a lot of reasons. And a lot of it comes down to like societal pressures um, for women to be really small, not take up space. Um, But men experience those same societal pressures. And then they also have the added pressure of not speaking up, of not admitting to experiencing these things because of, you know, the the masculine kind of societal pressure to to not talk about your weaknesses or shortcomings or uh, emotions. And this is also something that you see in communities of color where uh, black women suffer from eating disorders at a very high rate, but yeah. often underreport because of like disbelief where doctors don't say sure. like, hey, I've, you are underweight or you are malnourished. And the same thing happens with men where the medical field really does have a big part in diagnosing eating disorders and believing somebody or looking at a man or a person of color or a transgender individual and seeing them as someone who would have an eating disorder. Whereas white women are typically looked at as obvi- like, this is our concept of an eating disorder. We think of a thin white woman. Sure. 
And people who are overweight experience the same thing, where our perception of who has an eating disorder affects who gets diagnosed, who gets treatment, and also affects who looks at themselves and says, I deserve treatment. I deserve care. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, and I, I imagine there's some sort of a, I don't know if stigma is the right word um, that's attached to it for men because we so often talk about it as uh, a thing that affects women mm -hmm. mostly. And and a lot of men have this, this overly masculine um, idea of what they should be and they don't mm -hmm. want to be affected or seen as affected by you know, a disorder for women. Totally. Yeah, that, I think that's very true. And I do think stigma is the correct word there, yeah. It's kind of, it's such a fucked up, nefarious hidden thing mm -hmm. you know that and we are in a sport where there's there's a gaping rabbit hole there that you mm -hmm. could very easily slide down you know trying to perform better mm -hmm. by utilizing weight loss mm -hmm. yeah and it's also like part of that too is what your friends see because for a lot of men, I think that your friends hear you saying things that sound like disordered eating, but <clears throat> brush it off because, you know, there's a perception that men don't get eating disorders. Um, and it's totally a big part of a big part of like getting treatment for an eating disorder and recovering from an eating disorder is having a support system, people around you who are you know, willing to have tough conversations with you and willing to be there for you. Yeah. And I don't think that as many men feel like they have that. For sure. That's what I was just about to say is that I, for instance, never really had that mm -hmm. with other men. Um, I had female friends I could talk to that mm -hmm. way. Um, and really it wasn't until... 2020, I had, I got to sit and listen and record a conversation with my friend Mario mm -hmm. and, and Donnell. And the, the love that those two expressed for each other mm -hmm. was something I've never witnessed before. Mm -hmm. You know, never seen two men treat each other that way in front of me. Mm -hmm. And, and it's led me to, search for, cultivate, and really value those kind of relationships with other men. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think a lot of men have that. And and I think we need to. And I think it would benefit us to be able to have those kinds of conversations and be that open with each other instead of just the like, I mean, you know, the ultimate form of of men like uh, accessing their feelings mm -hmm. when I was a kid was like the football locker room pat on the butt. Like that, that's as <laughs> yeah. far as you could go into your, into your feelings, mm -hmm. you know? But there's so much more than that that's so important. The really interesting thing about climbing is it provides us this fantastic opportunity to really live out a lot of emotion in a short amount of space. 
and mm-hmm. a lot of like perseverance and hardship. And there's a reason that climbing becomes a really spiritual practice for a lot of people because it's you're getting to really live out a whole life in like 15 minutes on a wall. Like it's, yeah, you're getting to go through like difficult things and you're doing it with people. And for a lot of people, the friendships that they form through climbing are the strongest ones they'll ever form because, you know, there's the, the person who's seen you when you're the most scared or when you're the most frustrated. Um, and I think there's an opportunity for those sorts of relationships to really form through climbing. You kind of have to let go of the idea of always being put together or never being scared or never being emotional totally. in order to do that. Totally. I heard yesterday while we were all out climbing, you know, I heard multiple people say that was terrifying Yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, just freezing and being like, I'm, I'm so scared right now. Yeah. You know? And that's really liberating. You know, I think it's something that I've found a lot of value in over the last few years, and I hope more people are, are finding value in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said something earlier about um, people in all different body types being able to find success in climbing. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is tied to what you just said, that we get to go through this wide range of emotions and failure and success and, you know, building ourselves up. Mm-hmm in this really short, compressed amount of time with other people around, sometimes friends, sometimes strangers, you know, and, and that is available to all body types. Absolutely. It's one of the only sports where that's really the case, where we Mm -hmm. have a system of celebrating success and and being able to recognize that someone else is having success mm-hmm. no matter the level you're climbing at by the time you're an adult most sports if you're not elite you you don't play the sport anymore totally you know and i think that's that's one of the really special things about climbing and and why all people of all shapes and sizes can enjoy it succeed in it absolutely and it makes it so much more fun i mean if you're climbing with a group of friends, I think the most fun part is that everybody gets different beta. Yeah. And you get to watch people do different things and watch different styles and like watch your friends succeed even on way different problems. Like yeah. I, I totally agree. I think it's it could be like the most inclusive sport of all. Like climbing has the potential to be that. Which yeah. is I mean, a lot of people lately have been fighting to make climbing more inclusive yourself included. And the reason for that is there's like that raw potential there. Sure. And it's not just because, I mean, different people can all like succeed. It's because success looks completely different for everybody in climbing. There's just like a billion different ways you can be successful. And it can look like climbing harder, but it can look like not being scared for once on that move or like feeling really happy or getting to spend time with friends, like success can be a bunch of different things. So, yeah. yeah, that's one of the most beautiful things about climbing for me is that we learn to find those little small moments of success and, and really celebrate those little small moments. Mm-hmm. Um, life is filled with them, but we, 
we get tricked into thinking we should only be celebrating the huge wins. Totally. You know? And I think, I think climbing is a really great little microcosm of success and failure that you can apply to the rest of your life. Yeah. In your article, at the end of your article, which I think is incredibly brilliant, is that you give tips for mm-hmm. people to to be better partners, to uh, just be better climbers in general mm-hmm. um, when it comes to dealing with this sort of you know, eating disorders. Um, before we get into those tips, though, I'm, I'm curious to know if you have friends, we don't have to name any names, people that you've talked to who have dealt with this and how you approach you know, talking to your close friends or partners or even people who just reach out to you because you've put your name out there, you know? Yeah. And that does happen a fair amount. And I mean, I, I struggle with it a lot. It's hard. Like it is hard to know how to talk to somebody who has an eating disorder, even as someone who has gone through that. Like it is not easy. It's something that you want to do carefully because somebody's kind of coming to you with their heart on their sleeve. Yeah. You really... It so takes a lot of courage totally. to, to talk about it initially. And I can totally understand not <laughs> wanting to talk about it with somebody mm-hmm. um, and wanting to avoid that conversation. Um, but yeah, I've had that conversation with a lot of people. And at the end of the day, just being there to say like, I am listening to you. I care about you you can tell me what's going on it's like huge it's if you don't know what to say in response the perfect thing to say is like i'm here for you yeah because you don't always have the answers and i don't always have the answers i think most medical professionals don't have answers either mm-hmm. um for that's a lot important of to remember yeah especially as a as a male who falls into the trope of wanting to be the fixer, Mm -hmm. you know, it's important to hear that idea that Mm -hmm. you're someone who's dealt with it. You don't have the answers. The medical professionals who've studied it likely don't have the answers. Mm -hmm. You know, that's so important to consider. Yeah. Yeah. And when people reach out to me, um, I make a point of reaching back out to them after the conversation too, Mm. because somebody saying like, hey, I'm struggling with an eating disorder. You're my friend. I thought I could tell you about this. Like, what do you think I should do? Talking to them and then a few days later being like, hey, how are you doing? It's not like a one-time Right. It didn't fix itself because they talked about it. Yeah, no, it's absolutely not. It is a multi-year journey with ups and downs. And sometimes you just need somebody to check back in and say, how are you doing? Like, that's what you need more than anything is somebody saying, hey, I care about you still. Yeah. Even when things are seem fine, like I'm here for support. Do you mind me asking, and tell me if you do, <laughs> um, how long did it take you from the moment you decided I need to make this change to feeling like, okay, I think I'm mostly out of the woods now? So I don't mind at all, and that's an interesting question because – the first time I went to a residential treatment center, I didn't decide for myself to make exactly. the change. Yeah. Or neither, I've 
been to two residential treatment centers and neither time was I like on board. Both times it was yeah. like, I guess I'm here now for the next few months. Um, but the point at which I said like, hey, I need to do this for myself. I'm going to book my own appointments for a therapist. I'm going to put in the work on my own time. It was probably a year and a half to two years before mm. I was like, I think I can say I'm in recovery. Like, I'm no longer using eating disorder behaviors. I feel like myself again, or I'm figuring out who I am for the first time, really, because yeah. having an eating disorder from the time you're 13 makes it really hard to know who you are. Yeah, I mean, it must become part of your identity. Totally. Yeah, and finding your identity <clears throat> apart from that, which is why climbing has been really amazing, because it's given me these opportunities to have like ups and downs and mm -hmm. figure out like what I'm made of and who I am. Um, and also why it might be a dangerous place, because if, if someone is a climber, if that's how they identify and it's an mm -hmm. important part of their identity, but they've also wrapped up this, this eating disorder into that identity, mm -hmm. it can be really hard to parse that out. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think, uh, Megan Carr in my article, I interviewed Megan Carr, who was a youth speed climber. Um, I just talked to Megan not long ago because oh, really? they were considering Lander as a place to move. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, she's... Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> she's a, a good example of somebody who's always been a climber. That's part of who she is. And when she got injured and couldn't climb, that's when her eating disorder developed because she wanted to still be like ready to be a climber you know, part of the community. She wanted to look like a climber, feel like a climber. And the only way she knew how to do that was to, you know, lose weight and be, in her mind, ready to compete at any moment. Um, yeah. Whatever you think it is that you have to be to be a climber really affects the way you behave. Because you, if it's such a big part of your identity... And you want other people to see you that way. You want to see yourself that way. Yeah. You'll do whatever you need to to maintain that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot. I don't expect you to actually know this. <laughs> um, but do you know your five tips that you had in your article? <laughs> I was, was going to read curious. it last night, but I, I can't well, I've, read I've got them here writing. in front of me. And, and I'd like to talk a little bit about them. Some of them we've already discussed, but I, I think it's a good idea to give these kind of five concrete mm -hmm. tips that you give um, because all of us likely know someone who does mm -hmm. deal with this. Um, and some of these are, even if we don't know the person, maybe mm -hmm. it's a good idea to keep these things in mind because it is such a prevalent issue. Mm -hmm in this community that hopefully we're all trying to make a, a better, more comfortable place mm -hmm. for people, you know, actually a more comfortable place for people to be challenged in healthy ways. Maybe that's yeah, how totally. I should say it. Yeah, that's a great way. Um, number one is refrain from making weight related comments or jokes, especially jokes about eating disorders. For example, no, how much do you weigh when lowering a heavier partner? Mm -hmm. um, there's, we've talked about this a little, but there's, so much of it. Your example here, how much do you weigh when lowering a heavier partner mm -hmm. is a is something most of us have done. Yeah. You know? It seems funny. They right. laugh. Right. But you don't know if like that laugh is like 
haha, yeah, let's make this conversation end, you know? Because mm -hmm. that, that can be really hurtful. And the same thing with like somebody breaking a hold. Right. Bringing it up a lot afterwards, like, oh, of course you broke that hold. Yep, or, yep absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've made that comment like, oh, I need to get on that route before you do because yeah. you're going to break all the damn holds off. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. It's there's there's a lot of that that we have to reconsider. And I think this is a this has been a theme of of 2020. It's been a theme of my thinking recently. Um how do we change our language? How can we make simple changes to our language mm -hmm. that make this a better place, you yeah. know? Um I believe in the power of words, but I believe that power goes both ways. You know, mm -hmm. words have the power to inspire and they have the power to harm. And how you mean it isn't necessarily how it's taken. You For know, sure. once you put it out into the world, it's it's then received by someone else. And you have to be conscious of how it might be received and yeah. make your choices. And just to add to that, there is in the other direction of saying like, oh, you're so big. There's also you're so small, right. which has right. It might seem innocuous, but saying to like a child, the only reason you can send that is because you're so light. Sure. As they grow up mm. and go through puberty and their body changes, in their head they have a hundred people telling them the only reason they're good at climbing is because they're light. Yep. And that's I think a big part of why eating disorders are so prevalent in teenagers who are rock climbers. Mm-hmm especially competition climbers that just, if the only reason I'm good at climbing is because I weigh less, then that's the only way I'll ever be good at climbing. Yep, absolutely. Uh, number two is promote healthy eating choices and avoid discussing specific numbers like calories or carb counts. Mm -hmm. And I think this one's really important because I hear so many people latch on to like the new diet mm -hmm. or... You know, they heard about keto once on a podcast and now they, you know, want to preach it to everyone they meet, yeah. how important it is. And, you know, I understand this, like, this psych that we have and we want to talk to other people about mm -hmm. things we're excited about, but you being excited about this, this new way that you're eating mm -hmm. may not necessarily be the thing that next person needs to hear because they might be considering this rabbit hole that leads them yeah. somewhere dangerous. And a good example of that is uh, I was eating carrots one day and someone who was on keto walked by and looked at my carrots and told me how many carbs were in my carrots. What? <laughs> I was just like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first reaction wow. was just like, well, wow, it's kind of a lot. And my second reaction was like, and? Like that doesn't matter, not relevant. I don't know why they felt the need to tell me but uh wow <laughs> yeah it's definitely if you feel the need to talk about your diet go to a nutritionist yeah find a friend who you know is like in a place that they can talk about that kind of stuff with you it's probably not a good idea to it's just the same way as like spraying about your project for 30 minutes like yeah most people don't want to hear about your diet and for some people it can be really like hard for them to hear about it in like a yeah. very deep way. So, yeah, totally. Uh, number three, speak openly and honestly about the things you've struggled with to the extent to which you're comfortable. I, I 
like that caveat put in there. Be supportive of others who are brave enough to share their experiences. I think this is huge. We have this tendency, and I certainly have this tendency of if I've had a different experience than an experience I'm hearing about it, I almost want to discredit that person's Mm -hmm. experience. You know, so many of us do that. I've learned a lot about this in the last three or four years, largely from making this podcast and talking to people. Um, It's so important to listen and recognize that someone else's experience is valid because it's their experience. Totally. Yeah. I agree. Um, I don't think, I think the caveat also is important. You don't have to talk about right. everything you've been through if you don't want to. Right. Like that's, that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. And if you're not at a place where you feel mm-hmm. ready to talk about it, there's no pressure to do so. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, that Angie Payne had talked a little about mm-hmm. uh, her eating disorders and it wasn't until this this documentary light that that she really opened up about mm-hmm. it and Angie is a good friend of mine and i had asked her quite a long time ago if this was something she'd be willing to talk about and at the time she just wasn't really ready to talk about it really openly and and i totally respected that mm-hmm. you know um so i think it's very important that you put that caveat in there that Do it to the extent which you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can find people that you're more comfortable with, Mm -hmm. talk to them about it. It doesn't have to be open to the whole world. It doesn't have to be post this on Instagram. Yeah. You know, Um, just talking to to someone in private can be massive. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've talked really openly about my eating disorder, but the background work there is... I've done a ton of group therapy. I've gone to meetings for people just with eating disorders to talk. I have friends and therapists in my family that I talk to. It's the background work has been a lot of processing before I'm ready to say like, this is what I've gone through to strangers. Yeah, that's really important. I've been thinking of making this graphic and I will, um, (laughs) that shows like, an iceberg and the top of it is the send on Instagram, you know, and, and we really celebrate that, but then we don't see all this, you know, years and years of, of training and failure and mileage at other grades and, you know, all these other things underneath the water. And it's a really similar thing with putting this stuff out into the public that Mm -hmm. someone might see your post or read your article and think, oh, I need to, I need to do the same thing because this person did. Look how brave they are. Mm-hmm. But then when they can't do it, when they're when they're not ready for it, it it'd be very easy to think, oh, I'm just not brave. You yeah. know? I need to slink back into my hole and just continue with my life, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but what they don't see is all this time you've put into processing it and communicating it. And and it is just as brave to like look in the mirror and look at yourself and say, Absolutely. I'm struggling. Yeah. Even saying that out loud to yourself is like huge. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe the hardest part of it absolutely. Yeah. is admitting it to yourself. Yeah. Strangers are easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. 
Uh, number four, encourage your climbing partners. Positive affirmations lead to increased self-worth. Instead of talking about their physique, focus compliments on other points of value. Practice positive talk on yourself as well. Um, we talked a little about this. We didn't really talk much about practice positive talk on yourself mm -hmm. as well. Um, it's something we don't see enough of, I think. And and I'm I'm guilty of this because, like I said earlier, I'm the kind of person who who responds really well to coaches mm -hmm. who are like, wow, that was fucking terrible. <laughs> you know, I respond really well to that. And I'm very quick to, if I fail, say, oh, here's what I need to do better. Mm -hmm. um, I've gotten better over the last several years at vocalizing the positive things mm -hmm. rather than the, here's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, that was great. You know, that was a little bit of progress. I was able to drive off that foot a little more and, mm -hmm. you know, touch the hold. Just those little positive subtleties, I think the people around me will pick up on and, and start to value in their own climbing as well. Totally. Um, yeah. So that's big. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, the way that you like to be coached or the way that you can motivate yourself to climb is not always like the same as the way you need to talk to yourself as a human being. Mm, like yeah. the Kyra Condi tattoo thing, uh, for example, people are like, oh, you shouldn't be mean to yourself. I mean, Kyra might not be being mean to herself. Right, she might exactly. be motivating herself and in her free time. She's saying like, I'm proud of you. You're great. Like absolutely, you can be hard on yourself and still be kind to yourself. I think all the best coaches I've ever had like in soccer and cross country and yeah. all that throughout high school were always like, you know, called you on your shit. But at the end of the day, we're like, I'm proud of you and you're doing a good job. And mm -hmm. I think it's really important to tell yourself those same things on days when you fail, on days when you do well, having the those moments and with your friends telling them like, I think like, for example, Alex, my boyfriend was, he tried a, a really tall boulder the other day and he didn't send the boulder. But at the end of the day, I was like, I am so proud of you for trying. Mm. I'm proud of you for walking up, seeing how tall it was and saying, I'm still going to try. You know, yeah. little things like that, I think, make a big difference in the way people can see themselves or people think others see them. And feeling valued and respected by your climbing partners, mm -hmm. I think, makes a big difference. Yeah, I noticed yesterday when we were climbing, um, we were the whole group of us were climbing on this V10 boulder. Mm -hmm. and the crux move revolves around this little crimp. Uh, and we were all struggling with the move, and then you get on and just do the move. And and I reckon, you know, besides my, like, dumbfoundedness at how you found better beta than us immediately <laughs> and just owned the crimp in a way we were not, I recognized that Alex was like, wow, that was fucking sick. Yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, it's, here's this, you know, Alex has climbed, what, V13? Yeah. Um, A handful. Harder, yeah. maybe. Um, but he's able to recognize in you that, A, you're, you're trying this thing that's really hard for you. Mm -hmm. You stepped on with confidence and just, did the thing, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I liked that he vocalized that. Yeah. You know, I thought that was very cool. Yeah. It makes a big difference for me, for sure. I, 
and yeah, and talking positively to myself also makes a difference for me. And I know everyone's different, but every hard thing I've ever done, right before I do it, I like kind of close my eyes. I'm like, this time I'm going to do it. Like, mm, and I know mm-hmm. I can. And I wish I could do that every time. It's a little hard to remember to pause and be like, yeah. you definitely can do this. Yeah. But, yeah. Do you, do you do that as just an affirmation or do you really feel it? Uh, yeah, I have to really feel it. Mm. I think I could practice it as an affirmation, and sometimes I do. And it doesn't always work, but there are times where I really feel it. But it's started out by me saying to myself, right. this time we're doing it. This time you can do it. Yeah. And sometimes it takes me a long time to work up the courage. Or like yesterday, like I don't climb V10, or I haven't climbed V10. I wanted to try the boulder. All these strong people are trying it. And I kind of had to like say to myself, like, you're just going to try. You're going to go and you're going to try. That's a tough thing. And you're going to do a move. Like, I don't know which one, but you definitely can do a move. Like, yeah, having that positive self-talk, at least for me, is really helpful. And having it from other people as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, you know, just just for the sake of people listening who have found themselves in a similar position, and I guarantee most of you have, Mm -hmm. um, I think stepping up and trying something that you initially decided was probably over your head mm-hmm. can be really valuable for everyone around you, even the people who are climbing at that much higher grade. Yeah, totally. You know, um, I was impressed by it. Um, and I know I've been in situations where there are people trying things that I think are, well, that's, that's over my head. I'll probably yeah. never climb that grade. But let me try it, and then they get really psyched that that I'm able to do a move or something, yeah. you know. So I think it's valuable for everybody around, for all of us to kind of lean into that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember how you started moving toward positive self-talk? You know, coming from an eating disorder, finding climbing. Mm-hmm. When did that positive self-talk kind of take hold for you? So it's a it's a really common thing that you have to do in therapy when you have an eating disorder. It's a mm. thing that all therapists make you do. And I always thought it was like a load of bullshit. I hated it. I personally have always hated therapy because I'm like the eye-rolling teenager. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And it's kind of funny. Actually, it was here in Lander on the UFO boulder, that um, V6. Uh-huh. That yeah. Luke Skywalker, maybe? Uh, I don't know. First contact. First contact. Never mind. That was way off. (laughs) First contact. (laughs) (laughs) I never remember any boulder names at all. Uh, But that I was just kind of sitting there and I just like closed my eyes. I'm like, I'm going to grab the hold this time. Mm. And then after that, like the whole summer and lander, I just started doing that before climbs and it like made a huge difference. And I've been doing the same thing like in the gym and it's, I'm like, ah, damn it. They were all right. Yeah. Like really didn't want people to be right. that positive affirmations <laughs> would help because. Especially I'm, the therapists. I don't yeah. Want them to be right. <laughs> Total cynic, really skeptical of a lot of things. Um, started using it in my day to day life. Started using it with like for job interviews or. Yeah. And when I'm feeling down about myself, just kind of being like, 
going to the mirror, finding five things I like about myself. Mm. If, if I'm feeling down about my physical appearance, I'm like, I'm going to find five things I like about myself right now. And then it does change the way you perceive yourself as yeah. much as I grit my teeth and say it. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes practice, right? Yeah. Like the first time you do it, you're going through the motions. Yeah, totally. And you don't believe it still. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep practicing it, and eventually little things will start to click into place. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I wrote a wrote a book that the main theme of the book was commitment, and the, the, mm-hmm. first, the first thing you have to do to commit to a difficult move or anything difficult in your life is just to decide you're going to commit to it. Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. So it's such a great way to... You know, we we always say trick yourself. That's not mm-hmm. the that's not the right way to say it, but to lead yourself into committing to whatever it is. Totally. And this is the reason that it's so helpful to have other people around you saying those positive things. Yeah. It's so much easier for other people for you to believe what other people say about you. Yeah. The nice things. Like when it comes to climbing, I climb with a lot of people who climb at a really elite <clears> level. And I am better than all of them at climbing on foot chips at the gym. Yeah. Like, I know that's a silly thing that no one cares about, but having those people tell me, like, wow, that was crazy. That was so good. Like, that gives me, like, so much confidence that... Do you just turn around and be like, you're damn right. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, absolutely wow, should. must suck to be six foot tall right now. <laughs> Can't do this lay down start I just <laughs> And your last tip in here is if you or someone you know is struggling with an eating disorder, do not minimize it. Eating disorders are life-threatening and they deserve medical attention. And and I think that's a huge one that we just shouldn't, we shouldn't ignore it. Um, like you said, we should follow up with people mm-hmm. who do have the courage to, to try to talk to us about it. Um, and we shouldn't brush it aside as just, oh, that's common in climbing. Yeah, totally. Totally. You know, maybe it is common, but it doesn't make it any less life-threatening. Yeah. And just like life destroying too. Yeah. Like, you, you know, a lot of people survive having eating disorders. A lot of people don't, but a lot of people do, but they lose years of their lives. Mm-hmm. Like, I cannot stress enough. I lost being a teenager to having an eating disorder. Like, I don't remember most of it. Like, I was floating through life, like no idea what was going on. Right. And- And it's just, it is a really damaging thing from a health perspective, but also just like years of your life, your emotional well-being, your relationships. That's huge. So many relationships get destroyed when somebody has an eating disorder. So knowing all of those things, that there's a person standing in front of you saying, I'm struggling. And there's so many things that like, are on the line for them that it's so important to be like i know that you're struggling and i'm here to help and whether that help looks like sitting and listening or that help looks like i'm not qualified for this but Mm. let's help like let's find a name of a therapist or let's see if we know somebody else who is and encouraging and following up and saying like hey did you end up going to that therapist that we talked about Mm. it's it's hard to do but 
just knowing that it's important. It really is important. If somebody comes to you or you notice these things in somebody else that you take it seriously, it's like a huge step. Well, I think it's, it's such an important conversation and I appreciate you being willing to have it, you know, to, to kind of carry on what, what Savannah. So I don't know how she did it, but she so excitedly talked about it. Yeah. I mean, she was kind of excited about everything, (laughs) but, but I appreciate you carrying that on and then, um, and I'll have links to, to your article in the Mm -hmm. show notes. I'll have links to, uh, the research paper that we talked Mm -hmm. about. And I'll have links to Light, the documentary, as well, um, for people who haven't seen it. Um, it's a it's a conversation that's needed to happen in climbing for a long time, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm really glad that it is, and that more people are starting to come forward with their experiences, which then makes it easier for other people to acknowledge their experiences. Totally. So thanks for taking time out of your trip to sit down and I'm I'm glad you just cold DM'd me <laughs> those years ago. Of course, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, in in my opinion, the way that I approach learning something about a subject that really I feel way out of my depth in is that I like to talk to people who have had experience in it and I also like to talk to people who have studied it and understand it well enough to have an educated conversation about it because the two don't always overlap, but both perspectives are really important to hear. And Caroline has both of those things, which makes this conversation for me particularly valuable. Now, of course, hers isn't the only perspective. There are other perspectives equally as valuable that I would love to hear from and will explore on this podcast in the future. But I appreciate Caroline's courage, not only in dealing with these issues in her own life, but continuing to discuss it, to write about it, to study it, and being willing to come onto this podcast and talk to me. It would certainly be easier to leave it behind as much as possible. So Caroline, thanks again for doing it and hopefully we see you here in Lander again soon. For anybody out there who is looking for help or has a loved one who's willing to accept help, you can find links to the National Eating Disorders Association helpline right there in your show notes. You can also find links to Caroline's article to the research paper that we mention in this episode, as well as links to Light, the documentary. And something I learned from Savvy in that conversation back in 2017 was that if you have a loved one who might be doing battle with an eating disorder on their own, then whether you're going to do it exactly right or not, now's the time to gather up your courage and talk to them about it. All right. Don't forget, tickets for the 2021 International Climbers Festival are on sale right now. Those are limited. You can get them at the link in the show notes right there in your pocket supercomputers. 
And you all know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us at Power Company Climbing on the Facebooks, the YouTubes, the Instagrams. And for some reason, you can find us on the Pinterests. But you cannot find us on the Twitters because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. Yeah.